to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malenzak, and this is episode 32 of the podcast. 32. All right, here we are, everybody. Welcome to the College Student Success Podcast. How'd week one go, everyone? I hope it went as well as my week one. Uh, so we should all be settled in now. Everybody should have probably been to at least one week's of class, one week's worth of class. And hopefully you got to meet your instructor, whether that be in person or virtually online. And I hope you're feeling good about the semester. I hope you took some time in the last week to think about your goal that you'd like to work on this semester with the virtual audience here. And I am going to kind of take you through some different tactics, strategies, um, get to introduce you to some cool people that might help you with that goal, uh, getting you closer to that goal, whatever it might be. And that's the point of the College Student Success Podcast. So let's get it on. We're in week two. That means we're actually going to get probably to start some real work for many of us. Uh, week one is a lot of introduction and do you have the book and is it the right schedule for you and all that shit worked out. And now week two usually you come in and this is the first lecture and I hope you guys are ready for that. Quick tip, I hope you everybody got their syllabi, that being multiple syllabus if you are taking more than one class. Uh, if you have your syllabus online, if you were e it was emailed to you, if you're taking an online class, I suggest you print it out. Uh, it's a pretty important document. It's nice to have it on paper, just to go back to it, not to have to log on to your damn computer or into your LMS every time you want to look at it. So if you've attended class, good chance your, your professor printed out a copy for you and gave it to you, and that's great. If not, though, take that opportunity and print it out onto real paper. Also, look at the grade breakdown for the syllabus, uh, and each syllabus if you have more than one. Where are you going to need to focus your time? Is it mainly an exam-driven course? You know, it's one of the, where there's like, you know, 75 to 100% of your grade is tests. Or are there a multitude of things that make up your grade? You know, that's how my courses are structured. An exam might be, you know, 20% of a grade. There might be 20% dedicated to a project or a paper. There might be participation. Uh, it might be, um, you know, anything can constitute, you know, sometimes it requires you doing things out of class and that makes up your part of your grade. So it's good to get a sense of that early on in the semester so that you know where you're going to be focusing your time. Think about the Pareto principle, 80-20, right? Where if, are you going to be able to focus that most critical 20% of your time to get 80% of the outcome? And then go through each of your syllabus and take all the important dates from the outline or wherever you see important dates, such as exam this date, paper due this date, assignment due this date, this date we don't have class. Um, put those, transfer all of those over to your calendar so that you have them all in one place. Uh, start the semester off right. Get everything in one uh, centralized location that your brain trusts as a reliable source, and it's going to set you up for success this semester. Okay, so I'm feeling really good about last week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I, I put it out and, you know, did some editing and it's got music and I'm just, it's something I'm, I was proud of. Uh, so I hope to continue to bring you high quality episodes. I did want to touch up on, touch on some dis, uh, discussion, some follow up from last week's uh, 
Derek's five factors that I had come up with, PVLAS, passion, value, leverage, accountability, and sustainability. So one thing I wanted to talk about, and it's going to reference uh, a quote that I have I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, is applying this to random goals, right? So when I say random goals, I mean a goal that's just something you want to do for the hell of it, right? I want to learn how to sew, you know? kind of random, but, you know, it may not be something that you see. It may be a passion, but it may not be something you see as a full-time, I'm going to devote my life to sewing, and I'm going to make a career out of sewing. That's fucking fine. (laughs) And I didn't want last week's episode to make it seem like whatever your passion is, is that's what has to become your life's work. Um, But what I do want is that, you know, a passion of yours to be a goal, you know, involved with a goal that you set this semester. So I think it's perfectly fine to set a goal this semester of wanting to learn how to sew. And it's okay then that that leverage may not really impact this goal. And I touched on that a little bit last week, but I didn't feel like I gave it enough due, especially in light of this quote that I have. I'm going to talk about in a second. And then the next question or the next thing I wanted to talk about is what should you be working on? Why should you be working on these things anyway? Why, why learn how to sew if you're in college to pursue your career and that's your main focus? Well, it is, um, but there's more to life than college. Um, and passion just doesn't disappear when you go to college. So I don't believe being a full-time student means necessarily that you don't do anything else, (laughs) you know, and I'm sure many of you are laughing at me like, yeah, I get it. You know, those of you that have to work and go to school, you know, it's like school is part of what I do, but it's definitely not the whole thing. Uh, And you can learn how to sew and still be a successful student, even a full-time student with a job, um, as long as you, you know, kind of budget your time well. Um, So why should you be working on these things? because you enjoy them. (laughs) I don't know. And sometimes we just don't have time for them. And that's kind of why I, I, I put this up, this podcast out there is I saw so many students that have these really deep driving, passionate goals that they want to achieve that get put on the back burner because, you know, school comes first or, you know, I have, I spend so much of my time, you know, taking care of my life, keeping it all together that I don't have time for those things. And I get it, but I'm here to say, maybe if we spend a little more time on those passions that our life actually would be of a better quality overall. So that's something to think about. Um, Sometimes you can turn these things into a little bit of a side hustle, right? You have a passion for, I don't know, I bring up fantasy baseball because that's one of my passions. And if I was interested in leveraging that into some kind of money-making venture, you know, a lot of people would think, yeah, there's probably no money in fantasy baseball. And you're right. (laughs) There's almost no money in it. Um, But you would, and you would have to work hard to make any kind of money. Um, But there are a number of different ways that you could do it. Um, So, you know, you could be a writer and, you know, people could pay you for articles. Um, If you think about current trends in fantasy baseball, one of the big things that's gotten a lot of press in the last year is this daily fantasy. And there's a lot of money in content for articles analyzing daily fantasy baseball and daily fantasy football. So, you know, to just kind of pigeon your pigeonhole yourself as that Mark Manson um, quote I read on uh, 
last week's podcast reference, you know, people think, oh, there's no money in this. Um, and there probably isn't much, but that doesn't mean a smart person that's thinking about these things couldn't actually turn it into something. So even if it's not your career, who doesn't love a little side hustle? And by side hustle, I mean just like a little thing on the side that you do to make a, a couple of bucks. That's something you enjoy. You know, it can't be something that you hate because you got to focus. It's got to be driven on some part on just interest because you got so many other competing interests. So side hustle is one reason. And then if it's in line with your career, you know, if you're a psychology major and you do, you do have a, a a passion for helping people and you decide this semester you want to um, pursue a volunteer activity to, to kind of pair with your, your degree so that you have um, just kind of a more well-rounded story. Um, I don't say resume. I say story because that's what's going to sell you in any job. The resume might get you in the door, but your story is going to actually get you the job or not. Um, so that that's going to make you stand out amongst all of these other psychology majors that didn't do something like that. Uh, research experience is something else. Uh, if you really had a passion for, for learning about psychology, um, then I would say, you know, to that these days, just getting the undergraduate piece of paper isn't enough. Um, it, it is enough to, to get you jobs, but it, I think they're having a little bit extra, you know, that something to kind of stand out um, is really the thing that can put your put you over the edge. And I think about it, you know, you probably have heard this before, right? When you were in high school and you said, oh, you need to be a well-rounded student and you need to have be in all these clubs or do these sports. And eh, no, it's not like that anymore. Um, what I would say now is it's more about maybe finding one of those things and kind of following up and doing it a little more intently. So um, I think of it as sort of a complementary piece to your studies, if that's if your studies are, are sort of where your passion lies. And, you know, I hope for a lot of you that that is it. Um, so I'm going to share, you, share with you now another viewpoint on passion that I read. And I wasn't even looking for this. I just happened to be reading something, and I saw an article, oh, I was on Facebook, and it was an article, a Mashable article, actually, of all places, I that I uh, had read with Tim Ferriss, and he's a big, um, he's somebody I really admire, and as I mentioned last semester, his book, The 4-Hour Workweek, really opened my eyes and really has driven my goal for this semester, and I'll give you a little update on that at the end of the episode today. Um, so... Mashable interviewed Tim Ferriss, and they asked him, do you think that, quote, follow your passion is a realistic career advice for everyone? And this is what he says. He says, definitely not. It's popular to fantasize about dream jobs, read about them, and envy those who have escaped the daily grind to re revel in career nirvana. And yes, the web offers alluring new ways of making a living, ways that may allow you to profit from your deepest passions. But how you do those, but how do those who have found the promised land really feel? Beyond the sound bites they offer magazines, they're often there's often a very different truth. Converting passions into work is the fastest way to kill passion. Surfing two hours on a Sunday 
to decompress from a hard week might be heaven, but waking up at 6 a.m. every morning to do it 40 hours a week with difficult clients is a very different animal. Mixing business and pleasure can be psychologically toxic cocktail. If you depend upon your dream job or passion for daily bread or your children's college tuition, you can hit a nasty conundrum. The things that used to give you pleasure and get your mind out of the office now remind you of the 9 to 5 grind. I'm not saying we shouldn't be interested in our work. We should be. I'm saying that we shouldn't expect too much of it. The more unrelated demands we make of a single vehicle, the less likely that vehicle, whether work or marriage, is to get us to where we want to go. Expect a lot out of life, but don't expect too much from your job. It's just one tool. Make it a specific one. And there's sort of a lot to unpack there, but I really agree with this, even though I seem, I don't know, I feel like in a sense I'm on a different spectrum than Timothy Ferris. So he says, you know, he doesn't mix business and passion. <laughs> and that's pretty cool. I don't know. I tend to, in the way I live my life I and the way I have my workflow set up, I tend to mix it a lot more. You know, um, like I said, I was on Facebook, you know, just BSing. I wasn't looking for content for the for the podcast or anything. I was just on there because, you know, I was probably on there for the same reasons you guys were, just killing time. And I saw this article. And it's because I followed Tim Ferriss. You know, he just interests me. And it was, you know, I read it and I thought to myself, oh, this would be a cool thing to follow up on with the episodes from last week. And, you know, it got me thinking. It just kind of like, it was like, I don't even remember if it happened during quote unquote work time, but you know, the life of an instructor is is sort of not a typical nine to five. I think our jobs blend a little bit more. You know, the life work balance is a little bit easier to attain because we don't have to be, you know, clock in, clock out like so many jobs do. Um, so I just want to pres- present this other perspective because I didn't want to push too many people last week with this whole like, you know, your passion has to be your career. It doesn't. But I would like for some part of your passion to be in this podcast in terms of what you do for your goal. It doesn't have to be. You know, if you really know deep down that you need your goal to be to focus on college this semester, then by all means, I will help you with that. Um, But I think it just helps and it's just more fun. You know, you're listening to this podcast, hopefully to get some something interesting, but, you know, learn something, get some support. Uh, It'd be cool to work on something that you wouldn't otherwise work on without it my my thoughts so all right now let's talk about something else we're done with passion for a little while so we're gonna do we're gonna bring back the question of the day and so i search on uh for those of you that haven't listened to this uh before i search on reddit they have a subreddit for college it's r dash col r uh forward slash college and I pick a, just a random question or, or something that somebody posts, and I, I present my opinion or perspective on it. And sometimes I actually write in to the person, like, hey, I kind of tackled this on the podcast. You should listen. Sometimes I don't. Um, so this person titled their post, I hate college, but I'm too far in it to quit. What am I supposed to do? The title pretty much sums it up. I never wanted to go to college, but came because my parents pushed, my family pushed it. I have no friends. I'm just doing all right in classes. Most of my classes are useless crap, having nothing to do with my major. I can't compete with my peers, and I have no will to continue. On the other hand, I'm halfway through my second year, 
So all that money goes down the drain and uselessly without that piece of paper. If I don't find someone to marry in college, I will inevitably die alone. Having a degree will open a whole lot more options on my career path, and I will be known as a failure if I don't finish. I just don't know what to do. So I think the uh, I don't if I don't find someone to marry in college, I'll be I'll die alone is sort of tongue in cheek, and they they kind of elaborate on that. Um, but this is something that I hear frequently. You know, this idea that well, I've invested so much already. Um, I, I can't go back and you might have a parallel to your life in, in some other, in some other role you play, right? Maybe you're invested a lot in a relationship with somebody, you know, that you've been dating for a while or married and you're unhappy for whatever reason, but you, you feel like you can't get out of it because you invested that so much time. And that is sort of not a great way to think. And I'm going to read a little bit of an article from Psychology Today called Letting Go of Sunk Costs, because that's what that is. All right. It starts out, do you have a suit or a dress in the closet that you haven't worn for years, but you're reluctant to get rid of? You say, I can't throw that away because I paid good money for it. Or maybe you have magazines and books that you have been accumulating in your crowded apartment and you won't discard them because you say, I'll get around to them sometime when I have the time. Or you might find yourself in a dead-end relationship and say, I can't give it up because I've already put three years in and I have to make it work out. You justify riding a loser or getting stuck on what you already have because you fear that walking away would mean that you wasted your time or money. You made a mistake. People will now say, I told you so, or you will then conclude, I must be bad at making decisions because this one didn't work out. If you recognize any of this in yourself, then you are suffering from commitment to sunk costs. You're trying to recover investment by holding on to it because you cannot accept it. You cannot accept that it is no longer working. So does any of this sound like something in your life? You know, um, it's a it's a fallacy, the sunk costs fallacy. And I... It always kind of knew about it, but I was looking at some other, I don't even remember what it was, some other uh, subreddit, and I had seen a similar situation. I think it was about a relationship. And this person brought up, you know, the sunk cost theory or fallacy. And I, I, look, I read about it. And I'm like, wow, this relates so much to what I hear about in college. And I think to this person, exactly, right? I'm going to go back to the, the Reddit thing. On the other hand, I'm halfway through my second year, so all that money goes down the drain uselessly without that piece of paper. Having a degree will open a whole lot of options, I don't, and I will be known as a failure if I don't finish. This person is totally stuck in this sunk cost fallacy. And while this person's right, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, that's why I'm saying this person, um, they, they might be right in that yeah, they have invested a lot of money and they've invested a lot of time, but it's a lot of times important to think about some, ask yourself some of the other questions that might be pertinent here. So let me go back to the article. Let's take a closer look at why we get stuck in sunk costs or as it is known, honoring a sunk cost. There are several reasons. First, we have a fear of waste. You don't want to think that all that you wasted all your time or effort. 
Why? You can't stand the idea of wasting, even if you are no worse off observing me wasting my money. So um, they give this example of like a $100 bill and burning it rather than giving it to somebody. Um, But I think about it. It's like if you had decided, if this person decided, and I'm assuming they're in a four-year school, um, to give up right now, right? They would be losing the potential of getting that degree at this in four years, right? But they're not, they haven't lost the ability to get the degree at all. Um, so the money isn't really completely gone, right? Those credits still count that they obtained. If they wanted to in a year or two years or 10 years, they could go back and sort of pick up where they left off and almost be no worse for wear. Um, I get, though, that the, the degree is the thing. Um, so we get in, invested so much sometimes that we can't see the forest through the trees. So what can we do about this? <laughs> um, what would I suggest to this person? I would suggest mindfulness. So meditation is sometimes another a, a term when you think of mindfulness. Um, they did a recent study, and it's linked in the Psychology Today article that I started talking about, um, that 15 minutes, practicing 15 minutes of mindfulness meditation was helpful in making a decision to give up on a sunk cost. So what that is, you know, breathing slowly, watching, kind of being acutely aware of your breath, watching it go in and out, paying attention to your mind, paying attention to your thoughts, noticing your thoughts, observing them, and letting go of judgment, just noticing that they're there, trying to return to focusing on your breathing. And it's it's really, it's amazing. It's so simple, but so powerful. And once you have been able to slow down your thinking, start to ask yourself some questions. So if you were deciding again to make that purchase, you know, invest in a college education, would you have made the same decision? Why or why not? Um, Are you sacrificing other opportunities because you're stuck with the sunk cost of college? Maybe there's another opportunity out there that's you're missing because you're sticking with this thing that you really, in this person's mind, had no will to continue doing. Could it be that the benefits of your choice decreased over time while the costs have increased? If so, has the trade-off of the cost benefits changed? Um, so it could look like in the beginning, you know, oh, this is a really good idea. And as time goes on, you realize, you know what, this doesn't exactly fit with what I want to do. And in the, in the case of college, usually it's always increasing the cost. So, um, it's something to consider as well. And did you not have all the information when you made the initial decision, but now with new information, it is clear that this is not what you expected. That's kind of what it sounds like for this person, you know, and I think we put a lot of pressure on 18 year olds to, to have all of the information, you know, and sort of have their, their lives mapped out and, sort of what I got out over the course of the last semester is that, you know, that's an unrealistic expectation. You know, it's good to have sort of a direction, you know, that's helpful. But, you know, and this, the society bullshit pressure is clearly there. I know, and I'm not trying to say it's not, Um, but maybe just slowing down your thinking and then asking yourself some questions can sort of help you 
figure out like, yeah, I, I don't need to be investing my time in this. And it sort of gets at this, this, it's, I feel like this is anti-American to almost say this, but it, it's, it's okay to quit. <laughs> you know, we hear so much about how quitters suck and, you know, quitters never win. And it's like, if you're investing your time into something that you clearly don't want to be doing and you, it's okay. I'm just going to say it. It's okay to stop, you know? Um, it You do kind of have to take some responsibility. So you, you can't abdicate that. But I don't encourage people to pursue things that they know are not going to, they just know in their hearts are not for them due to the costs that they've already put into that thing, whether it be a relationship, whether it be school, whether it be anything, you know, um, when my son is old enough to play sports, right? This is the classic one that I remember as a child, you know, I was on the swim team <laughs> Uh, it was like a uh, competitive, it wasn't like the varsity swim team, but it was like uh, a county, you know, pro, uh, a county team. And I had joined and I remember I was in the low group and I worked really hard and I got better. And eventually I got put in the upper group and it got really competitive. And I was sort of the, you know, I went from being the big fish in the small pond to now being at the bottom of the, the higher uh, rung of the ladder. And it... It was partly that, but I just realized, like, I didn't really like swimming. <laughs> and I was afraid to tell my parents that I wanted to give up because I had invested so much time into it. And I eventually did. And they were, you know, a little bit disappointed. But in the end, they were just like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to, to, to give up, you know, if you don't like it, you know. And I think that we've just put too much pressure on young people these days that they can't give up. That's bullshit. You're allowed you're 18, 19 fucking years old. You may be even older. I don't know. I might have older students in this audience that are listening that aren't traditional college age students. And if you're out there listening, like, I'm sorry if, if a lot of this is geared towards, you know, the traditional college student, I try not to make it, but sometimes I think that comes through. So consider your sunk costs is all I'll say about that. And we'll move on. Um, okay. So remember episode 23, no, you don't? What the hell, guys? Come on, shame on you. Uh, no, I don't expect you to remember episode 23. But I talked about the person that I'm going to be bringing on for our interview today in that episode. I had attended a conference. Uh, it's the New Jersey Psychiatric Rehabilitation Association conference back in November. And I, if you remember, I talked about uh, the topic that I had presented on there uh, a little bit. And... I talked about the keynote presenter, who's Dr. Dan Tomasulo, and he was just awesome. He talked about um, a lot of things that I like. You know, um, he talked about something I had never heard about, positive psychology, and that was is something I, I asked him about in this interview. But he talks about all kinds of stuff that I have interest in, and um, for instance, one of those other things is, is grit, and he brings up Angela Duckworth in the interview, and that's uh, somebody that I actually reached out to to try and bring on for a future podcast episode to talk about this concept of grit and how um, she studies it and how it differs from you know intelligence and whatnot. Uh, unfortunately, she's not available to, to interview with me, um, but I think I will do an episode on grit and kind of play a portion of her TED Talk uh, further on in the uh, season. 
So I'm going to play you Dr. Dan's interview. Um, I'm really excited. It was. It came, I think it came out really well. Uh, listen to his intro. You, you hear how qualified this man is. He's a clinical psychologist. He has an MFA in writing, uh, and now he he went back and he got, I believe it was a master's for positive psychology. Uh, he writes for Psychology Today, the magazine, and I'm really happy to have him on the show. So take it away, Derek and Dr. Dan. Hi there, guys, and welcome back. I have with me Dr. Dan Tomasulo. Uh, Dr. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for inviting me, Derek. I'm okay. excited to uh, have this opportunity. Thank you so much. So you have uh, been involved in a lot of different stuff. I would, I would butcher your bio <laughs> if I were to try it myself. So I was wondering if you could just kind of uh, touch on a couple of things that you've done um, to kind of get you where you are today. I know you, uh, you have an MFA, you have a PhD, uh, you have a lot of stuff going on. And uh, you know, for the audience, if you could just kind of run down real quick what you got going on and how you kind of got here. Uh, sure. Uh, I guess the, the most pertinent thing to this interview is uh, uh, that I'm a psychologist. I'm a licensed psychologist in New Jersey, um, and my specialty is uh, in uh, psychodrama and group psychotherapy. And um, uh, a few years back, uh, about, let's see, 2011, I went back to school. <laughs> really, <laughs> I, I really should have had my head examined about going back to school, but um, it was a field that I was very interested in. It was in positive psychology, and I was lucky enough to get into the uh, uh, UPenn program in um, the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology. So I had already had a PhD and really thought it would be kind of a walk in the park, uh, <laughs> but it was anything, anything but that. I came to find out that I was the first psychologist that they've uh, let into the group, which was a surprise. Uh, most of the students were from uh, every other field you could imagine, from uh, you know um, uh, CEOs of uh, companies to music agents to yoga instructors, uh, and uh, Martin Seligman, uh, who's running the program, was president of the American Psychological Association, so I thought it was like a retraining kind of thing for psychologists. Uh, but um, what a rude awakening! <laughs> uh, so um, you know, I went back there, and uh, that's a year-long program. And uh, I will tell you, it put uh, put the work I did for the PhD to shame. Uh, it's a uh, very intense program, uh, but being the first psychologist to go through it, I felt my uh, my responsibility was to somehow tailor this toward uh, 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 use in mental health and um, uh, and also I, I do a lot of uh, writing. I have an MFA in writing so uh, I do a uh, great many blogs, uh, popular uh, press kind of thing uh, for Psychology Today, Psych Central, uh, Healthy Ways, that, that kind of stuff. And so the idea is to disseminate this information at uh, lots of different levels. Okay. So, um, wow. yeah, that's the that that's the uh, initial part. Uh huh. Yeah, that's just the start. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So that's awesome. I had never heard about positive psychology until I saw you at a conference, and you know, part of me is like, well, positive and psychology to me should go together. Like, duh. Um, but right. I think. Everywhere else, a lot of people have sort of a negative view, you know, when mm -hmm. they think about psychology. So can you talk about what, what positive psychology is exactly? Sure. Uh, 
Um, uh, well, I'll give you my elevator speech on positive psychology. Yes, right? that's exactly it, what it, I need it, to hear it, right it, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's basically a subfield of uh, psychology in general, and um, one of the things that um, we do is focus on uh, increasing well-being. Uh, so if you look at the history of uh, positive psychology, it's really been about pathology and change uh, that has to do with removing symptoms. This takes a very different tack uh, for not only individuals, but with uh, couples and uh, families and communities and organizations. So it has impact at, uh, at every level, including business. Uh, so positive psychology now is, is the science behind well-being. Wow. So in this sense, and I heard you when you were talking in the conference, make a statement that you can actually choose to be happy. And it seems like if you work on somebody improving somebody's well-being that, and put them in a position to succeed, that this would be the case. But I have a hard time as somebody who's worked with a lot of people with really serious depression – I would have a hard time telling people that. Like, you could just choose to be happy. Come on. So how do you do it? <laughs> um. <laughs> right. Well, well I, I think, uh, it, you know, it's um, uh, at two levels. And, and first of all, Derek, I really appreciate that, you know, that it, at one level it sounds almost corny. Uh, but at another level, um, the the idea that we don't have a choice over having our feelings seems ludicrous. Um, you know, that we're victimized by them, uh, that somehow just because I have this feeling, uh, I have to respond a certain way. So part of positive psychology is to recognize that um, it, there's a gap, as uh, Viktor Frankl would have said, between the stimulus and, and response. And our job is to recognize that between what we think or what we experience or what we feel, uh, we have a choice in how we respond to it. Uh, so there are plenty mornings when I wake up and I feel overwhelmed and anxious and uh, maybe even depressed as soon as I realize what my to-do list looks like, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but um, um, if I take a minute, a minute and recognize that, um, okay, that's how I feel right now. Um, I can direct my thoughts uh, in one direction or another. So if I pursue those um, uh, negative feelings, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole. But I can make a choice to take a moment and review the gratitudes from the day before uh, and think about, what already has happened in my life very recently that's been strong, positive, um, uplifting, that's really present. The, the way to think about it is, uh, you, you know, life is like moving into a dark room. We don't know what's coming in front of us. But um, we have the flashlight in our hand. So I could walk into a room and focus that flashlight on the ants and bugs and cockroaches and mice that are scurrying around the floor, or I can focus that light on the Rembrandt that's in the room. Um, and that is an essential element in positive psychology, that uh, we get to determine the direction, uh, that we have a choice. And if we've made a choice that we we don't care for, if we're pursuing those negative feelings, we can change it. 
so those are the two central elements. We we have a choice, and uh, we can change the direction of that choice. Yeah, that's really really insightful. I love how you sort of in the beginning flipped it around to be like, well, what would it feel like, you know, if you thought like you don't have a choice about your feelings? Um, so that's a really good, you know, way to conceptualize it. Um, so, and maybe if I, if I could yeah. just to follow up very briefly on that, mm-hmm. um, uh, and to, and to capitalize, uh, on, on that way of thinking is, is that, um, by their very nature, emotions are not meant to last. Um, they are fleeting, they are um, temporary, um, and so it's, it's much more I think that that's the true nature of our thoughts and feelings. And the goal is not to be, you know, in this state of perpetual bliss and nirvana all the time, but it's to recognize that we, we have the capacity for changing the ratio of our negative thoughts to positive thoughts. And that's, that's where the power comes in. We're not trying to wipe out negativity. That would be the wrong thing to say. We're not trying to wipe out pessimism. You know, if I'm trying to make the railroad tracks and the gate is coming down, I do not want to be optimistic. <laughs> I, want to, I, yeah. I want to have, uh, you know, a healthy dose of pessimism. So it's more about the ratio and increasing um, uh, our, our capacity for uh, sort of savoring uh, the positive experiences rather than the negative. And, um, uh, that, you know, that's where I think the power comes in. Yeah, it just jives so, so well with my my feelings about, you know, helping people with mental health issues. Um, and so you brought up goals in that last response. And so that's something I would love to talk to you about a little bit. Um, this podcast is all about setting goals, having college students set goals for themselves and then work, work to achieve them, you know, hopefully through the power of the group or listening to some of the strategies that they find on here. Um, so what have you found, what has been your experience and it could be from the positive psychology angle or even just throughout your career, um, about the importance of goal setting? Do you have anything, you know, any tricks or any, anything kind of that you've learned over the years to, uh, to speak to that? I think the, uh, um, first of all, I think it's a great question and, you know, we, we live in a goal driven society. And uh, here it is, the beginning of the year. You know, we're in January of 2016, so here we have this uh, this whole thing about resolutions and whatever. But the truth of the matter is, we know an awful lot about uh, goal setting, and and the way it's typically conceived of uh, isn't very uh, helpful. Uh, the new science uh, has pointed to a very different paradigm of what it means to set goals. So l- let me give you a fr- uh, an example. And yeah. uh, don't don't judge me now on the title of this article uh <laughs> because I I just recently wrote an article uh uh and the title was changing your to-do list into tada. Uh, so like I said, do, don't judge me on that. Uh, I like that. editor had a field day with that. <laughs> right. You know I, 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 you know, I, I, I pitch, uh, ideas all the time. I have like 2,000 articles on the web, so I'm pitching ideas constantly. And, uh, you know, the, the editor is used to me coming up with crazy ideas like, uh, you know, I had this thing about doing your gratitude dis- uh, list while you brush your teeth. 
So I said, how about we call it mental floss? And he was like, really? You really want to do that? <laughs> so, so back uh, back to this idea of uh, changing your to-do list to ta-da. One of the problems with traditional goal setting is that it creates something called a scallop effect, meaning that once you hit the goal, there's a slack off. You You back off of it. So if there was some kind of a graph, and you look at uh, like how a, a scallop knife uh, would be, you would see this curve that sort of bellies up to the uh, goal and then flattens out immediately afterwards. Um, so uh, the traditional model in business, as an example, has been to set a goal for sales or, uh, you know, whatever widgets you're selling. And uh, people work hard towards that, and if they achieve the goal, they get a momentary burst of happiness. Uh, but... Immediately following that, there's kind of this letdown or flat effect, and then the only way to solve it is by, you know, creating another goal yep. and, and marching towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the other way, and the thing that has much more promise and uh, actually much better results and outcome, and this is this has been researched by uh, lots of people. Adam Grant uh, at the Wharton School of Business at uh, UPenn. Uh, Sean Aker, who was uh, Tal Ben-Shahar's um, uh, TA up at Harvard for the happiness course, um, is is that putting happiness first, the well-being of the uh, workers, ends up being um, the most productive thing that you can do. Happy people perform better. It's it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable on just the goal, uh, then what happens is people, you know, people are only working towards the goal and are not engaged with the process of enjoying the journey. So the, the research now for both personal goals and uh, work goals, it doesn't matter really what they are, is, is to help people get into a good frame of mind first to be satisfied. And if you take a look at the, you know, really big companies, Zappos, um, uh, uh, Google, uh, they embrace this principle wholeheartedly about making sure people feel good and then their productivity goes up. We've always known that depression and anxiety uh, impact on uh, productivity and, and school. Well, now we're finally studying the reverse of that. What happens if people are uh, having increased well-being? Does it add to their um, uh, success and their goals? Does it add to their better grades? And and the extremely short answer to all of that is absolutely yes. Yep, I completely agree. Um, and I, I love what you said too about the whole the scallop effect of the fact that you know the 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 emphasis is on the goal, the goal, the goal, and then you achieve the goal, and then people don't know what to do after, <laughs> and they're right. left they're left with this emptiness, sort of. And it's hard, I think, in our society to sort sit there and sort of savor the fact that mm-hmm. you just achieved that that crap, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I did it, yeah, exactly. Like, enjoy it for a moment. Um, so one of the right. things that I talk a lot about on on the at least. Uh, season one of this podcast has been setting effect, like getting into good habits and rituals to sort of stop that, you know, mountain effect where you get all the way to the top and then you don't know what to do next. If you get into healthy habits where you sort of chip away at the goal, um, 
and become part of your mindset, um, you know, turn it to a ritual, um, that it can really help to a lot. It go a long way towards, you know, making goals seem a lot less scary and like, Oh my God, I'm never going to get there. Um, right. Do you have anything to say about habits and rituals? Any good ones that you kind of feel like are essential to your well being? Yeah, I, I, um, the, um, first of all, I, I really think that's a great, um, great point, great question, uh, Derek. I, I'd like to, uh, answer it, but, yeah. um, uh, first put a foundation down. Yeah. <clears throat> about, um, where, you know, where the nuts and bolts of this fit in. Uh, because uh, the, the origin of the dilemma <laughs> is how we think about willpower. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, Roy Baumeister has done what I think is some of the most definitive work on uh, willpower. Um, uh, the Penn Resilience Program has done a lot of work on, you know, what what causes resilience. How do you bounce back after, you know, you uh, you try something and, and fail? And then Angela Duckworth has done uh, tremendous uh, work on uh, grit. How do you how do you push through? But all of these things rest on understanding that willpower alone can't do it. You, you, you can't just will something to happen and hope that that willpower will sustain you. Uh, willpower works like a muscle. Uh, you know, if you ask me to hold a one-pound weight out with my arm straight out, I can do that, and I can do it for maybe... 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a half hour, but at some point, there's a fatigue factor where the willpower breaks down. And um, uh, that's where people run into a lot of problems because then they fail, uh, they they don't do well, they end up um, uh, getting depleted and depressed. And in in that regard, we want to shift the foundation. Uh, You know, it's like running a marathon. If I didn't eat well and then nourish myself along the way to run it and train to run it, uh, if I'm not nourishing myself, I'm not going to do well. It's the same thing with emotions and well-being, that uh, we need a model that says if we're going to put some positive rituals in place, some some new habits, as William James would have said, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to do these positive habits, uh, w- the goal of doing them is to generate positive emotions in that moment that will help to say, to sustain us. The idea isn't isn't um, just to have these sort of mini rituals or mini goals uh, during the day, but um, the impact of those rituals has to be the generation of a positive feeling, some positive emotion, because that will sustain us in the long run. That's the thing that's going to get us from point A to point B in a more, um, uh, in a healthier fashion and in a way that's less um, debilitating. Yeah, that was a really great way to kind of come back to this idea of, of the, the centrality of how important well-being is to all of this and that you can't really work on anything effectively unless you're in that, in that positive mind space. Um, well, I really appreciate having you on, Dr. Dan. I got three quick quick kind of questions as we wrap up. Um, first off, sure. if I was somebody listening to this podcast and I'm listening to you thinking to myself, oh my goodness, I wish that I could um, 
work with you uh, or work with a positive psychologist. Um, how can I, is that possible? Like, can I go online and find somebody that uh, specializes in this? How would you suggest somebody, if they were interested in, in working with somebody like that, um, go about doing that? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a great uh, question. And now, you know, positive psychology is much more ubiquitous. There's, you know, many people studying it and looking at it. Uh, the, the thing that has not happened uh, is there's not a, um, uh, like as an example, um, <laughs> I'm a positive psychologist. I have the license. I have the training. I have the background. All this kind of stuff. And uh, you know, I teach it. I do it. All this kind of thing. But um, what I have to say is that I'm an expert in positive psychology. It's not like me saying I'm a clinical psychologist or a developmental psychologist because the field is so new uh, that the the demarcation of uh, like a clinically savvy positive psychologist trained in positive psychotherapy, that hasn't really emerged yet. So so part of this is to recognize um, that if somebody is looking for a positive psychologist, they, they really want to find somebody that has a bit of a presence uh, in positive psychology uh, that is obviously uh, a licensed or certified uh, you know, therapist um, uh, in their state. And um, if if um, you're talking about people in New Jersey, I would be more than happy to respond to anybody's um, uh, uh, thoughts or, or, or um, uh, questions about that. Uh, and I'll, at the end of this, I'll give my uh, uh, my website and uh, you know number and stuff. And um, you, you know, I can certainly help people try to find someone in that area. But there's not like a listing <laughs> yeah. of positive psychologists just yet. Okay. Um, on the good news side, on the good news side, I just finished editing the uh, New Jersey Psychologist Special Edition in Positive Psychology. That's literally out uh, just now. It's a current edition, and um, uh, there's been great, great. Um, later this year, they're going to have um, continuing ed certification uh, for uh, psychologists in New Jersey. Um, and I also do run the Open Center in New York, their positive psychology certification program. So I get I get to sort of personally uh, interact and, and touch base with the people who are interested. And um, you know maybe that'll be my next <laughs> my next to do list or to do list is yeah. to generate a list of uh, practitioners who um, uh, who are experts in positive psychology. But at least for now, uh, you can tell people they can contact me, and I'll try to hook them up with uh, the best person for their needs. Okay, great. Um, all right, so hang in there, guys. It's coming. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What advice? And, and people, people, people can ask. Let me. I'm sorry yeah, for no, cutting no you off there, but um, people can ask too. You know, uh, if they see that somebody's maybe written an article or you, you know uh, said something about mindfulness meditation or you know which is another way into positive psychology you know that kind of thing uh they can they can talk to the uh therapist directly and say you know um you know are, is this something you bring into your practice and um you know ask specifically that's that's the best way to get direct information okay yeah that's great because actually i have that on my uh my plan to do do an episode later in the semester on mindfulness, so it ties in well. Um, okay, Great. I uh, I definitely want to respect your time. I do know you're on the train. 
Um, so two quick questions. First off, uh, what advice would you give if you have any to college students, um, the people listening to this podcast that may be struggling with mental health issues, you know, anxiety, depression, what advice would you give them to people like that who are working on setting goals for themselves? And then at the end, if there's anything you want to promote, like I said, your website or your uh, email address, uh, feel free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I would I would have two uh, bits of information. The first comes, uh, it's it's really fascinating. The uh, uh, the largest study in positive psychology, the longest one. Um, uh, the results are uh, just uh, coming out now from uh, Harvard. Uh, they've been studying people since. Um, uh, 1938, and uh, they started studying sophomores at uh, Harvard at uh, inner city uh, teenagers, and they've been tracking them for over 75 years, uh, and that's over 700 people they've been tracking. And um, at the end of the day, what they found out is that it had nothing to do with money, nothing to do with power, nothing to do with intelligence, nothing to do with uh, uh, learning disability, nothing to do with anything other than uh, relationships, investing in relationships. So the the thing I, w- I would say is that if relationships matter, or as Chris Peterson would have said, uh, other people matter, that... Um, the most important thing a student could do is uh, build and develop uh, good relationships uh, with uh, their roommates, uh, fellow students, like-minded students, classmates. Um, the, the facilitation of friendships, uh, building family uh, bonds, that is the wellspring from which everything else, all forms of success, uh, follow. Um and, uh, in fact, the lead researcher on this study, uh, recently said that, uh, loneliness kills, um, because it leads to, you know, isolation leads to, uh, uh, a weakened immune system and, uh, over time to death, early death. Uh, so, you know, the number one thing is work on relationships. And if you don't have those skills, to join groups where those skills can emerge. And uh, you can learn about them because they are very, very teachable and learnable. Um, and that's the that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing would be um, uh, in in setting goals to to recognize that the process of moving toward the goal is just as important as the goal itself. So uh, don't defer your good feelings until you hit the goal. Try to make the journey enjoyable, and and that means uh, pacing yourself, um, making sure that you're on the journey along with uh, friends and uh, other like-minded people. Um, Develop a partnership with people where you can report your progress on the goals and talk about your struggles and obstacles with each other. In other words, build support for yourself uh, along the way. Thank you so much. I completely agree. Um, Dr. Dan, I really appreciate having you on. Uh, how can people get in touch with you or, or find out more about you uh, if they would uh, be so inclined? Sure. Um, the uh, the easiest thing is my website. It's dare to be, and that's the number two b e happy uh, dot com. Uh, and my office number is seven three two. 
758-1122, and I'm in Red Bank, New Jersey. And um, the the website also has a um, uh, a section for direct directly emailing me, and I'm really good about that kind of stuff, uh, you know, getting back. Uh, and probably the most important thing is coming up, we have a certificate program in New York City now at the Open Center, and that's uh, starting in uh, March, and I'm um, very excited about that. That'll be a, uh, a program, weekend program, uh, where over a series of five weekends, um, people will earn a certificate, and that's open to uh uh, to everyone, from students to professionals, uh, where we'll uh, take a deep dive into positive psychology. And um, I think that might be something people could get uh, interested in. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, check out his website again, daretobehappy.com, the number two, and it's B-E and be happy. Um, I was over there a little bit uh, over the last few days, and there's definitely a lot of interesting stuff on there. So, Thanks again, uh, Dr. Dan. Really appreciate having you on the College Student Success Podcast. Well, thank you, Derek, for having me. And I think the work that you're doing is essential and really, really, really terrific. So keep up the good work. Appreciate it. Thanks again. All right. Welcome back. So I hope you enjoyed that. And I think it's really cool that he actually gave out his phone number that uh, you guys can give him a call if you want. Um, I think he's super cool. Uh, okay, so let's talk about your home exercises and then get you out of here. So did you do your homework last week? Hopefully you didn't get much for week one of the semester, but I gave you homework. Uh, last week, your, your homework was to set a goal and think about it through the Derek's five factors, PV, LAS, passion, value, leverage, accountability, sustainability. Look through those lenses and see where the idea lines up where the goal lines up, and where you may need to be paying special attention to down the road. Um, so hopefully you did that. Hopefully you have a goal in mind that we're going to talk tackle the next 13 weeks. Uh, this week, I'd like you to think about happiness. Uh, think about your own happiness and your own well-being. Think about what Dr. Dan said in the interview, and then think about what you need in order to be happy. Maybe you do need to quit a sunk cost. <laughs> and just say, you know what, this isn't worth it anymore. Consider the idea that happiness is a choice and determine what you need in order to make that choice to be happy. Hopefully the goal you set last week is geared toward, imp is geared toward improving your well-being in some way. So I want you to write that goal down and then write your goal down, write it down somewhere prominent and then write down why you want that goal. That's it. That's the assignment for this week. We're working on accountability this week, and next week we'll get into some of the strategies that are going to that are going to be helpful in kind of setting yourself up for success. Um, probably talk a lot of, bit about sustainability next week. Um, so my goal little update. So if you remember from the end of last week, uh, my goal is to develop an online course for people that are getting ready to take online college classes. So I want to achieve this goal because I'd like to develop a passive income stream, you know, my side hustle. And I'm also interested in creating something long lasting that actually helps people. So that's why I'm doing it. And I've, I spent a lot of time in the last week on it. So it, it continues to take shape. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm really excited to have that to you by the end of this semester. Uh, that is my commitment. Uh, that's, that's what I'm shooting for. So next week, uh, I 
have a guest lined up, another interview lined up for Friday that I am... <laughs> I'm just as excited, if not more excited, than this 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 current week's uh, guest. Um, this person is on a podcast that I listen to regularly, uh, that I really really enjoy. I I don't. I'm gonna hesitate. I'm not gonna give the name of the person, um, and I'll make it a surprise for next week. But because I, I just in the event that, you know, something last minute happens and the kit's canceled, then I'll have to come up with something else and I'll feel like a douchebag then. Um, so I don't want to say anything um, that I will not be able to deliver on for sure. Um, but I am scheduled to interview this person on Friday. And if that works out as planned, I will have the episode ready for you for next week. Um, but suffice it to say, um, it will tackle, okay. The, the next step in this idea of, all right, we set a goal. We, we took some ownership of that goal. That's what we're going to do this week is to kind of write, write the goal down somewhere and th- consider how it impacts your happiness and, you know, consider your own happiness and your own well-being uh, and start to make that decision to be happy if you're not currently happy. Uh, next week, we'll start to kind of take some steps towards setting our lives up to be a little bit more productive, to be able to be mindful enough to take action on these goals. So hope you tune in next week. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. As we end today, just want to say, keep it up, guys. Keep focused on that goal. Um, I hope you guys rely on your support systems in this next college semester. It's, you know, it's often not going to be easy, but that's why we have each other. Reach out to me if you need anything that I could help you with, uh, something that you might want to see addressed on the show in the future, collegestudentsuccesspodcast at gmail.com. Or if you go to facebook.com backslash college student success podcast, uh, leave a comment there. Uh, I'm on that site just about every day checking, checking up on things. Hope you enjoyed. Got some value out of today's show. And I will be back with you next week for week three. Peace.